Stay tuned for the Organic Farmstead. It starts now. Hang around, Willie boy. Don't you raise the sails anymore. It's for sure. I've spent my whole life at sea. And I'm pushing age 73 Now there's only one place that was meant for me I'm your host, Richard Hill, here with Chris Ferriero, and uh, we are here on November 18th on our new studios, 277 Fairfield Avenue in Bridgeport. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we did our show, Reeling from the Shock of Guy's Loss. Somehow, we stumbled through with several of us uh, sharing thoughts and memories of a truly unique person who served as mentor and leader to so many of us. <clears throat> And uh, this week, we're going to continue the conversation about Guy with a lineup of folks who knew and worked with him over the decades and can share not only personal memories, but also <coughs> add uh, their um, admiration for all that he contributed to the organic movement in the Northeast and especially in Connecticut. So today, we'll be <coughs> hearing from Suzanne Dusing, Nancy DeBrule. Mike Nadu, Katie Poole of Massaro Farm, and uh, her uh, farm manager, Steve Munno, Steve Pelletier of Connecticut NOFA, and a few other people. And we'll also be hearing some pre-recorded clips from some of our uh, uh, programmers and acolytes of guys who are kind enough to contribute them. Uh, I, th I want to uh, now bring in our two... Um, phone guests so far. We have Suzanne Dusing and Nancy DeBrule. Uh, are you with us, ladies? Good afternoon. <laughs> yes, we are. You are We're indeed. Here. You are in force. You are out there. That's great. <laughs> we hear you loud and clear. Thank you so much. This is great that we could do this again with a little bit more organization and uh, a little bit more panache, hopefully. But uh, certainly, um, we have a good lineup and we're going to try to keep it going for the hour. We actually, you may have noticed we have different theme music today. This is Yes, also, I did notice that. Yeah. and uh, Is that intentional? It is intentional. It is a very, very melancholy uh, song that I think brings to mind some of the beauty and uh, wonder of Guy, but also um, captures the feeling of the farm a bit. Um so I just wanted to start out actually by um, reading something that uh, Janelle Beardsley sent me in an oh, email that uh, she, um, you know, she's been communicating with us and, and, and keep, keeping us in the loop, which is so nice. And she may actually be, be able to join us a bit for today if she gets free from her schoolwork. So here's what she says. She says, hi, Richard. I thought the November 4th show was great. That's the last one we did two weeks ago. Um, I only did catch a little bit of it, but you all did, quote, famously, as Guy would say, in carrying everything off. The Eco Garden is a little melancholic at the moment, uh, but we are planning to plant garlic cloves that Guy had prepared and are ready to go. Getting the field ready and splitting all the bulbs was one of the last tasks he completed on Earth. Mm. <laughs> so uh, before passing, and um, 
Fortunately, I carefully copied down his instructions for garlic planting <laughs> last year. <laughs> and, Janelle uh, is very thorough, I'll tell you. I really can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. thank, thank God for that. And yep. however, um, we, um, this will be the first time of doing it without Guy. And uh, we have some folks who have stepped forward to help out and who have done it before, so we all uh, uh, need, all we need is the weather to cooperate. And we, um, she, she also puts this last thing in here, which I think is, is so sweet. She said, we request that any donations sent to Guy in his passing uh, be sent in lieu of, lieu of flowers. They, they uh, be dedicated or, or earmarked for WPKN or for Connecticut NOFA. So please mm. keep that in mind if you are of a mind to uh, be part of that action. And um, so there we have um, a bit of an intro to our show. And, uh, well, it's a great it's a great segue, uh, Richard, the garlic planting piece, because that was my basic connection to Guy these last couple of years. Uh, he and I planted over 3,500 uh, cloves of garlic the, um, for two years and harvested them as well. <laughs> we had help from another friend of his, a volunteer from uh, the church that he attended, and I'm hoping that he will participate because I'm at I'm just too far away right now to hop over to Guy's Eco Garden. You know, it used to be a ten minute ride from my house in Oxford, but now it's an hour and twenty minute ride. So mm. um uh, I I I'm so I'm so pleased and gratified that Janelle is able to um plant those clothes because you know I worried about them all being split apart. Because once you split them apart, they have no keeping quality. Right, you know, they dry you don't out. plant them. I'm laughing them. because uh, because planting garlic is on the mind is on my mind right now. Um, also, and I haven't split mine apart yet. I usually do it the day that I plant. But three thousand five hundred cloves is a, a, a lot more than I plant. However, <laughs> one thing I shared with Guy was that I know he would be planting with the moon phase. Right? Yeah. Is that correct, Suzanne? Right? And yes, he would. As far oh, as yeah. I can see, Saturday of this week because I checked the calendar. Ah, the right. calendar yeah. that you, Suzanne, gave me. Um, yeah. And, right. Um, uh, and that was the coolest thing because as I started learning about gardening along with the moon phase and I would call into the show, I was always sharing that with Guy because he was, he did that forever. And, you know, a lot of people, when you tell them, oh, I have to check my moon phase calendar, they're like, huh? And yeah. then you go, oh, no, no, this is a really old time thing, <laughs> you know, and some of the best farmers and gardeners I know do this. And Guy was one of them. So, yeah. Um, and then he, that's the Della Natura calendar that right. we um, yeah. like right. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Right. And 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 lo and behold, this uh, somewhat mystical, magical thing apparently works. It actually well, does produce yeah. results. It, it makes a lot of sense because it's in, it it coincides with the tides. and um, the gravitational pull of the moon and and sun, and um, it makes sense in. And also, it's a wonderful organizing principle. You know, if you if you want it, you can take the calendar. It's very useful. You can create notes and keep a record right in the calendar. So it serves many purposes. Organization and record keeping become a part of that calendar for the year. Not to mention, exactly. of course, when I gave it to Nancy, she read every single bit of the, the information on it. I, I, I geeked out of, on it. Yeah, and that was um, that was Guy's Bible. You yeah, know, that was, exactly. that was yeah. his Bible for, for everything. That and so also, um, what <laughs> of note is this weekend, um, tomorrow, the moon is full and there's going to be a partial lunar eclipse that's going to last longer than not anyone ever, that's ever happened, but it's a very long lunar eclipse. Whether we'll see it or not, because it's supposed to rain, I don't know. But the sort of the, the rule of thumb is you plant your root crops after the full moon and what a full moon this will be with an eclipse. So I'm planning yeah. on preparing my beds today because I have to work 
Saturday afternoon. So I'm going to prepare my beds today, and then I'm going to go out in the morning on Saturday and plant them. And if I think it's going to rain, I'm going to prepare them, and then I'm just going to put a tarp over them so they don't get too waterlogged. So the way that I work it to, to plant with the moon phase when I have other things going on, people go, how can you do this if you're busy? You just decide what day you're going to do it, and if you don't have time to do all the work, you do stuff ahead of time, like break open the garlic or prepare it so that it doesn't take that long. For me, I'm planting like 120 cloves. I mean, you know, not really, 3,500. Yeah, most of, most of planting is prep work anyway. You know, the actual putting of the seed into the soil right. is the least time-consuming of almost right. any part of the process, I think. You know, the soil prep and the splitting of the cloves, it takes a lot more time than plopping right. them into right. the soil. And, you know, Guy had an interesting way of doing it, which was very different from the way Bill and I did it. But um, we were both successful, which which leads us to the conclusion is there's many different ways to <laughs> plant the garlic. Most important, even if you plant it upside down, what will happen is, in most cases, the stalk will twist around and come up anyway. So you always want to plant right. it with the, the root side down and the pointy side <clears> up. <throat> but um, we were careful. We just we just put them in, you know, fluffy soil. You you have to, the secret about garlic is fluffy soil. You know, uh, not mm -hmm. rocky, not rocky. Right. You know, probably it's, not the heavy clay I have. I use raised beds which yes. I've been working on the soil for a long time because it's very, very heavy. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how I first met Guy or when I first met Guy because I became a part of NOFA very early on through Bill. And, yes, um, of course. So, and I know he was involved at the very beginning, too, from what I understand. Maybe you well, know, he, Suzanne. He started the chapter of NOFA he in started Connecticut. The chapter. So, okay. Yeah, he, right. he's a founder of Connecticut NOFA. And, you know, my That's my Bill. experience with Bill was, yes, Bill Juicing. Uh, I, my experience right. of Guy was um, over 30 years ago at the first annual meeting that I attended, which was back then was basically a very informal affair at a camp. You know, we'd have a big fire in the fireplace at Potluck, and that's where I met the Bristols, Diana and Mel, who are, you know, in their 80s now and, and uh, trying to farm still. And I met Guy and Pat there, and about a week and a half later, uh, they they phoned me up and solicited me for the certification committee. Back at, that was before <laughs> USDA co-opted the standards, and we were Connecticut had a certifying branch, and um, they they Pat and Guy were absolutely certain that I was a great candidate. I knew nothing. I knew nothing about soil science. I knew I loved my husband and I would farm with him. But I, yeah. I mean, I, I was basically a city kid. And, and um, so I was really went in so far over my head. But, and I made a lot of mistakes and I angered a lot of farmers. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it was a steep learning curve and a great experience. And they had ultimate confidence in me, which was just amazing. And, then I subsequently went on to serve on the board, which was a much better fit for me, you know, because I just didn't right. have the scientific knowledge oh, no. that I gained, you know, over the year, goal. my 30 years um, dealing with um, agriculture and farming and organic principles. So that was my exposure to Guy. And, you know, of course, he, he was, he's been farming since he was a boy. You know, his father was a dairy farmer in Shelton. And his uncle also worked on the farm, and Guy grew up as a farm boy, you know, and um, that was, you know, so he watched the evolution of <clears throat> pre-World War II non-chemical use to post-World War II uh, and then Vietnam right. with the coming of Agent Orange and uh, chemical warfare in agriculture. So, so I, I a, think it's I rather... Have a, I have a hot bulletin here. We do we do have Janelle Beardsley on the phone. Oh, good. Oh, great. Oh, good. <laughs> so, hi, hi, good afternoon. Is this Suzanne here? Yes, Suzanne Dusing, it's great yeah, to yeah. hear you. I am just coming into your accounting of guys' 
childhood and good afternoon Richard and I Chris Ferio invited me onto the line here. Thank you very much and I can just add to what Suzanne is saying here if that would be okay with all of you because um of course. Uh, yeah, this uh is a really uh very important aspect of the the years that Guy was growing up um what Suzanne is saying the evolution of agriculture and farming to include gardening. When Guy was a, bo- a boy born in 1930 there in Derby at Griffin Hospital, he he absolutely witnessed the infancy of organic agriculture before it was even called organic, as Suzanne right. is saying, and um, grew up at a time where there was com- you know, community sharing of farming activities and sharing of produce. And that's what, you know, our family loved to hear, the stories of those those days where the the people helped each other in their farming endeavors. And, you know, Grandpa provided the milk to the farming community there in the White Hills of Shelton, and Aunt Sue had the strawberries, and Uncle Elliot had the pork, and the, the other maybe 13 or 14 families, some of them immigrant families from Europe, who owned the other dairy farms. There were only about 15 houses in the 30s and 40s in all of White Hills. And that was a very different age from the 200-plus houses you've got there now. But he, he directly witnessed that way of life, of helping each other um, through the farming. And I think that's part of the key to, you know, the mystery of Guy Beardsley, the, um, the sense that it's the people that are the important thing. And later on, that came across, I think, in, you know, motivating him to help found these farmers markets in Fairfield County that he was involved in with my mother and also um, being able to embrace with such enthusiasm, you know, the enthusiasm that we all are missing now in his, you know, absence to embrace such things as the black garlic, even cucumbers earlier (laughs) cucumbers Cucumbers, you know they could shine your shoes or cure a hangover (laughs) (laughs) the cucumber phase was before the black garlic phase (laughs) of, of, of causes that he was embracing but you know he did want to encourage people to grow their own food he knew that was you know a healthy thing to do provide for oneself and you know the the seedling operation was you know was very important part of that but you know uh, some of the funny old stories of growing up on the dairy farm there on route 110 are that you know he remembers that part of town before there was a state highway there when it was a dirt <laughs> farmer path and my grandfather's turkeys some heritage breeds were running all over the place and you know some of the stories of yeah the the bull that they won a contest they got a bull named winner from uh, Yukon and they raised that bull and he became a magnificent bull for the farm and my grandfather would chain it out in front of the dairy barn and you know this was a a lost era a former Mm -hmm. time of farming you know it was automatically organic because as Suzanne is saying there were no pesticides brought in and one thing that Guy and some of the listeners will remember a story that he related from grandpa. Grandpa tried DDT one time yes. on corn to we take talked, out the weeds. You yeah, remember we, this story? And we talked about yeah, it all the weeds last died, yeah. and Grandpa said, "We're never going to use this again," <laughs> because he saw that it just wasn't right. Yeah. So that is some, some, one account there. Some, some things but, are. Um, to, yeah, some things are are, are uh, self-evident the minute you, uh, you you experiment with them. Trial and error. Exactly. And that was... Uh, um, I'll just say a couple of more words about um, Guy's positivity. The um, We've got some funny phrases that you may remember. He would always say, 
good show or do good work. (laughs) Or you, as I told Richard about the last show, you you, you did famously. And he really tried to encourage people to always think positively, think of the next thing. Things are going well. This positivity is such a key uh, secret to his character, I think, that we all are recognizing now that he's been gone about two weeks. And also... Fortunately, the radio show has preserved his warmth of voice, the sense of well-being, I think, that came from his delivery and his ability to connect things together with a sense of wholesomeness and goodness that we've got also. Um, not, not surprisingly, he, he was a Boy Scout leader for many years. And this comes through then when he hired uh, quite a few teenagers to work on the farm, and some of their lives were changed forever under his guidance and his instruction on growing things there in the White Hills. And uh, we finally made files for all the employees, and we just saw how many people really had been touched by Guy's work in the farmers markets and there um, at at the farm itself. Um, but I think also uh, he wanted to get away from the farm in hoeing weeds when he was a teenager and looking up and seeing, you know, all the planes <laughs> flying right overhead headed to Europe in World War II because he was 12 years old during part of World War II. It, you know, he wanted, he became a pilot then. He was inspired, you know, to leave the land and for 30 years he was away from the farm and ultimately and not many people may realize this it was my mother's breast cancer that actually motivated them to start the organic farm back in the early 80s when they returned to the farm after his military retirement and that that's part of maybe an unknown uh, aspect there to that but you know there's another part a third a comment I want to make about his sense of civic duty which um, he was on several committees in the town. He was president, I think, of the um, Citizens Advisory Board for the city of Shelton and was for years heavily involved in several other committees in the town and never stopped doing that work in addition to the work at his church. Um, I'm hoping maybe the minister will call in with some other funny Guy Beardsley stories hmm. from the, the church activities. But those are, you know, just a few of the things I, I wanted to say today. Um, there's a, a great picture we have of Guy um, when he's maybe six or seven years old doing that old activity called raking behind the cart. So you, this is in the <laughs> 30s. You've got the teenage uh, local farmhands up on the the hay cart, and there is little guy with this giant rake trying to, you know, <laughs> imitate what he saw the adults doing, which was raking up the hay behind the cart and then very precisely p- uh, packing it onto the hay wagon, mm-hmm. and then knowing how to get that hay into the barn uh, when once it's nicely dried and just the exact way to do it. So he does represent a time of of skill and knowledge that probably is largely gone <clears throat> in this day and age. Janelle, Those are I, a, a couple of things. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, no, I just wanted to interject that, that um, you know, as you, you were talking <clears throat> about the, uh, the splitting of the garlic and, and actually getting it in the ground, and that sort of get, lit up my day and my my whole sense of what's going to happen to that farm because, you know, farmland is is like, uh, it's sort of like this, um, you know, green gold that uh, real estate developers and, uh, you know, condo uh, aficionados and all those kind of people are, are always looking for places to build on. And we there was a great concern amongst our crew here that, you know, the eco-garden could go the way of so much of the farmland in Connecticut, uh, which brings us back to Bev uh, Corvino's film, uh, The Farmer's Voice, when she documented the loss of farmland in Connecticut and the and the, uh, the fight to preserve it. So w- w- when I heard that you were getting involved in, in, in the garlic planting, we, we were hoping that, that that effort would continue and that the farm would, would sustain and that 
if I, I just wanted to <clears throat> mention that the people here are um, prepared to go to the mat to um, to do whatever it, it would take mm-hmm. to def- to defend that uh, that open space. That is great to hear that, Richard. And let me uh, assure the listeners and you and the crew there um, that the, the eco garden is not going away. The we we do know that Guy's intentions were definitely to have that um, the immediate five acres that is you know, that corner of, you know, the Paramine Road and Bird's Eye Road and Route 110, that that is not going to cease operation, that we continue on with the garlic. In fact, the garlic that Guy so lovingly um, prepared for planting will be in the ground before Thanksgiving. And um, Guy actually yesterday helped us start the tractor when we had a little difficulty there, but he <laughs> came down and showed us where the secret switch was because <laughs> the tractor hasn't been run for two weeks. And we, we didn't exactly remember, but we were able to get it started. And oh, um, I do remember him the, talking about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Starting the tractor, right. Janelle, I was just going to say that um, if you think about where he came from and what he saw in his life and how he was so deeply involved in LOFA back in the day, like I was, like Bill Dusing was and Suzanne, and we were so working so hard as this tiny grassroots organization to get this state thinking organic. And, you know, it was such a long haul of just volunteering, volunteering, volunteering. And when you think now, and then Guy got to see the resurgence of home gardening during the pandemic. I mean, owning an organic garden center, like everybody and their brother wanted to grow food finally. You know, it took a long time mm-hmm. for that to happen, but it had already started to trickle in with the younger generation getting, you know, homes and wanting gardens. So, you know, for me personally, I saw quite this enormous change and shift in the last five years with the upcoming generation saying, oh, I want permaculture. I want organic gardening. I want to grow food. And then the pandemic sort of cemented that thing. So I I think for Guy, it must have been enjoyable to see that and also, you know, to realize how far organic um, farming and food sourcing has come in Connecticut since the beginning in the early 80s when NOFA began. I know I feel that way. So that's really well a good thing to think about. Ladies, can, and, and, I, and, and gentlemen, can I, can I um, uh, actually introduce another guest to our conversation? Janelle, we, before you do, though, I just <clears throat> want to say thank you so much for providing that, uh, that background, as only a daughter could. You no. know, and... Um, <laughs> and uh, and also just one other thing that that whole notion of farm as community, I think that was one of the things that gave him energy to give so much to NOFA because NOFA was grounded in community mm-hmm. and farmers helping farmers and and getting food to local sources was really really his 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 life's work in in the latter part of his life you know so. Um, uh, we're very, we've been very fortunate to have him. He's like a force of nature, you know, in this, in this, um, uh, development of organic agriculture. Okay. Next uh, I just wanted to thank Janelle. Yeah. It was wonderful to have her attend. Thank you, Suzanne. A- absolutely. Thank you, Nancy. Se- yeah. I, we second that emotion. Janelle, thank you so much for those, um, colorful stories. <clears throat> I know there's many more and, uh, we should do this again. Uh, as you think of them, but um, you, your voice has always been one of the uh, assets on this show. Whenever you've been here in person or on the air with us, it is uh, it is such a joy to have you. So, thank you so much for oh, joining Richard, us. Thank you. That is delightful. I'm glad to have been able to con- make a contribution, and I'll be back again when called at your service for sure. <laughs> I, I am going to pull away now, but uh, I will be very anxious to hear the show later on, preserved for posterity. Yes, good point. Um, I just want to mention that you, you mentioned Guy's voice, you know, being sort of pre- preserved as a, uh, a resource for people. You can go to the WPKN SoundCloud page. That's You can get that from the homepage of WPKN and look for the organic farm stand. I believe we have over 60 shows 
with Guy Beardsley uh, featured in each one of them. And each, each show has a different topic. It has a different style uh, to some degree. And, uh, but there it all is for you uh, to feast upon for posterity. So in this show, of course, we'll be there too. And as we did with Bill Dusing when we did that special with him, we put the show up and, uh, you know, I th- uh, now it's, it's, it's about 400 people who have gone and listened to that, that uh, special that we did on Bill Dusing. And I'm, I'm sure that uh, Guy's special that we're doing today will receive that kind of attention. So go to the SoundCloud page and enjoy Guy Beardsley and the, the Organic Farm Stand. There. And just as an aside, when you go to those shows and listen to them, there's some wonderful interactions between Guy and Bill. And Janelle as well, because Janelle, <laughs> uh, in the summer when she was off from school, was often um, came along with her dad, and those shows were always so very interesting. Your background in herbal um, uh, information and is just it's phenomenal. I've learned so much from you, and have enjoyed sharing uh, flowers for functions when we were short over the years. <laughs> you know, we would help oh, yeah. each other out. You know, I was always <laughs> such a Comfort and and a pleasure. So, um, so, so, so let's see if we if we have Mike Nadu with us. Mike, oh, good. Mike, are you are you are you still there? You've been hanging. So. I am here. Oh, fantastic! Oh, hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Hi. Hey, Richard. What a mess. Hey, Chris. Yeah, how you doing, Mike? And Nancy and Suzanne and Janelle. Boy, Janelle, I yes, can hear yes. your dad's DNA in your thing. in your words. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hey, uh, Janelle, Janelle, before, Janelle, you still there? I am. Okay, I just want to uh, just share, uh, just from a personal standpoint, you know, um, a lot of times I would be hosting the show and it would just be me and Guy and no guest and we could easily fill the whole hour just talking. And and that's Incredible. something that's something that I, I don't know uh, we'll ever be able to, able to capture again, you know, because that was, that was something special. We had that rapport. Yeah, that was great. Mike Mike is a uh uh organic landscaper, la- landscape uh designer and and uh purveyor of uh chemical-free landscaping. Mike, uh tell us um whatever you care to about your relationship with Guy and uh, the long-standing uh association you've had with him. Well, I have to be honest and right up front here and say, boy, I didn't know him anywhere near as well as I'd like to have. Um, most of my initiation with Guy was through Bill, through Bill Dusing. Um, the organic farm stand was one of the earliest sources of connection to the organic community for me. Uh, as was stated before, when Guy started uh, way back with organic landscape uh, gardening, I started with organic landscaping in the early 80s, and there was nothing much going on. Um, you know, there was no real information. And then I connected to PKN, and, you know, it was this really quirky, weird station back then, and it still is today, which I love. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I heard uh, Living on the Earth, and Bill introduced me to the organic farm stand. And from there, that's how I get I got to know Guy. And I was very fortunate several times to be on the radio um, in the old station with Guy and Bill together. Yes. Um, we- bantering back and forth about uh, the, the similarities and differences between organic land care and organic agriculture. And how important it is and how it's much more than just a shift from a chemical bag of fertilizer to an organic fertilizer. It's a whole mindset and a lifestyle change. And Guy was way out front with that way out front and his confidence and ability to be able to uh, experiment and then tell everybody on the radio the mistakes he made and the home runs he hit was really, really, really um, a big guide for me in my, in my life and my uh, journey through organic land care. Yeah. And um, tell us just um, since the topic is on the table now, and it's such an important one, we just uh, actually did just an interview with um, somebody from Save the Sound, the uh, 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 the, the director of um, what it was. You see, if I can remember what his title was, but te- director of um, you know uh, oversight of, of of the chemical and uh, 
uh, environmental degradation oh. of the sound. And he, you know, he talked about the, the whole idea of the, the nitrogen contact content in the sound and how that so much of that is coming from uh, organic uh, or n- n- non-organic land care nitrogen usage on lawns. And so um, why don't you just say a word about that? Because this, that topic to me is so important, and it is just, there's no, as far as I know, there's no structure or uh, any way for us to implement some kind of uh, guidance and, and uh, structure so that people can, um, you know, follow better, better land care practices on their, on their lawns. Okay. Well, in the, uh, the wise guy vein that sometimes guy would show is you ask for one word and I would say the word would be no, period. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the reason for that is that um, both organic and inorganic nitrogen sources are pollutants if they're excessive. So even mm-hmm. if you put organic fertilizer down, um, the best organic fertilizer on the planet, if it cannot be assimilated by the soil biology, it's going to run off and become a pollutant. So it doesn't really matter which one it comes from. I will say that chemical fertilizer runs off easier and quicker, and especially if it's salt-based, which lots of nitrogens are. And salt is one of the uh, quickest things to leach through soil. Um, it's important to know that, uh, I think, too, that if you own land along the shoreline, the only way you can actually apply nitrogen legally is to have a soil test and have the soil test show that you need nitrogen and then apply only that that's amount right, yeah. and at certain times. That's a law in the state of Connecticut. Right. Very that's few people right. don't know that. I think, um, you know, the connection between organic land care and organic farming is, is, is a deep connection. And I think, as Mike Nadeau will remember back in the early 80s when we started trying to pull together organic land care um, educational programs, we leaned on farmers because we didn't have anybody else. Nobody else was doing (laughs) this. We had to sort of invent it. I mean, the the products that we were offered were in these ginormous bags, how many pounds per (laughs) acre. And you're looking at somebody's yard in their garden and you're trying to figure it out. Everything smells funny. And, you know, owning an organic garden center, it wasn't consumer friendly, you know, so you can't just slap a 50-pound bag that has no information on it into somebody's trunk who owns a little house and say, have fun with that, you know. So we were leaning heavily (laughs) on the organic farmers. They were our mentors, and we would do organic farming conferences through NOFA where we'd have 50 people in a church basement, and then we tried to pull together organic landscapers. And, Nancy, what you were saying about um, using, you know, following the farmers uh, and what they knew, the organic farmers, I remember when we wrote the organic land care standards. So the standards right. for organic landscaping, we actually took the uh, agricultural standards as our guideline. That was where we right. started. And was, also Rodale awesome. was doing some work with organic lawns at that time. Right. And that was very helpful. You know, I went down there for a month think- and studied with them. Suzanne was mentioning, you know, back in the day when, when after she met Guy, that, you know, a week later she was asked to volunteer or work on the certification committee. Because it's hard to imagine, and it was a wonderful thing, actually, that NOFA was in charge of writing the standards and certifying uh, organic farms back in the day when I was on the NOFA board and president. And it was a lot of work, but our standards were very, very strong. And very, very strong, yes. Not yes. watered down like the USDA has done for to allow bigger farmers and bigger corporations to have that organic label. So yeah, we're based on um, local organic, local agriculture. You're not exactly. industrial agriculture, right? Right. And that just spins right back to what Janelle was saying when you think about what it was like when Guy was growing up. And how far from that we've all come, and yet this deep searching that so many people are now looking for, the reconnection to the land, the reconnection to the cycles of the seasons and the growing of their own food, Um, being on the front lines in a more retail environment, I see this as a movement that is not 
just a fad. I see it as something that is like sort of ingrained in this upcoming generation. The generation that was raised on computers and televisions, Mm -hmm. but they want this and they're hungry for this. And, you know, when you work with young people, you don't have to convince them not to use chemicals. They're almost to the point where they're saying, (laughs) I don't understand why you would, why anybody would poison their food. (laughs) There you go. You know, it's like, why would you, why would you do that? So it, to me, it gives me great hope to have been through, you know, four decades of this and watch the growth and change happen. And every single cog in the wheel, Guy Beard's rebuilding, every single cog in the wheel has contributed in this state and even in a broader form in, in New England. And even, you know, a lot of the people taking the organic land care course now are taking it from around the country. So we're right. having an effect in, in this change that it's kind of becoming a little bit faster because of the um, the urgency that we feel about our soil, about our sound, about our air and water, about climate change. And, you know, farming and gardening is like the, the number one thing that anybody can do. Just You can grow, you know, I'm now going to be growing microgreens on my deck and then in my house over the winter. It's like this silly little thing you can do, but you can do it. Anybody can do it, you know. And that's just one way of getting fresh greens without having to go to the store. They're fresh, they're Mm -hmm. organic, they're right there. So to me, you know, he was like, you know, he was an integral part of the sea change that's happening in this state. I I think it's so true what you're saying about the idea that each one of these elements, you know, the, the, the organic gardening, growing of the food, the land care, they're all sort of feeding into each other and, and informing people of the overall crisis that we're in, which, of course, all defaults back down to climate change and the uh, destruction of our environment as we, you know, literally burn ourselves away the the, the the platform upon which this planet is uh, is based and so and car, you know carbon se- carbon sequestration which is sort of the new buzzword in organic circles has a lot of power to mitigate climate change it's really impressive uh, how much um, how much that <clears throat> can have a positive effect just one more thing about no. the local food thing and the pandemic we you know when during the pandemic when the shelves were bare. Uh, people became really desperate to grow gardens, you know, because and raise chickens. There was a lot of, you know, my my, my son and daughter-in-law have an incredibly active um, um, business and market selling baby chickens now because um, it, with the with the problems with the supply chain and um, getting the food shipped and all, people are becoming much more respectful of the power of local and organic, which was. My late husband's mantra, local and organic. Mm-hmm. You know, you can all yeah. attest to it. <laughs> yep. it, came, yep. it, was, it was out of his mouth on every, in every talk he gave and every show that he was on, um, the organic farm stand. It was just that and composting, a word that hasn't been mentioned in terms of fertilizer and nourishing the soil. You know, a way of creating less trash removal, less garbage to be burned you know, um, in Hartford, uh, less going up in smoke and more going back into the soil, that regenerative cycle, you know, covering the soil. There's so much that we've learned and um, just the change from tillage, no till. You know, people right. used to use rotor tillers and now we realize with the living life and the microorganisms in the soil, it's better to disturb Hi, the soil as little Kent as possible. Stoner. It's true. And we also have some people on the phone that we haven't talked yeah, to yet. I know Jeremy oh, Bell is here and Katie Poole. From Hello, the Chris. Island. How are you? Okay. Great to be with you all. Yeah, this is fantastic. That this uh, this large conclave of people who come together <laughs> for this. I'll, I'll just turn it over to you, and, and, and why don't you just uh, riff and, and tell us a little bit about your relationship <clears throat> to uh, Guy yeah. and, and to his uh, whole ethos. Absolutely. Well, this is almost like a little mini winter conference for us. And that's, you know, mostly my context for knowing Guy over the years is at the Connecticut NOFA annual winter conference where he would have a table with his baked goods and, and, and his advice. You know, he, <laughs> he could talk up a storm at the conference and, um, 
you know, so I would always visit with him and talk with him there. Our, our farms aren't too far apart, but that was mostly where I would talk to him. And I always appreciated how how positive and how welcoming he was. You know, he really, you know, as, as Suzanne mentioned earlier, the, the community aspect and the positivity. Um, he brought his love of what he did to that conference and to, to the farming community. You know, it, it filled filled his spirit, and he spread that out to, to everyone, and I really appreciated that. Um, you know, that, that, that positive energy that he brought and the advice. And, and he served me my first bit of black garlic, as, as, you, as you talked about earlier. Oh. <laughs> Awareness of. Um, and earlier this morning, I was just out um, uh, covering our garlic, which we planted uh, earlier in the week with, uh, with leaves. We bring in chopped leaves from landscapers, and I use that to cover and, and mulch our garlic. So, yeah, yeah, we, we take them, and it makes great compost for us. So we, we pile it up. And in about a year, we get a beautiful compost, but but we take the, the leaves right away, too, and, and spread them as a protective layer uh, for, our, for our garlic uh, and some other crops as well uh, to protect the fields over the winter along with our cover crop. So uh, those leaves do great for us, you know, and, and I can just think about guys spinning these stories that he would tell about his garlic as well. So, you know, I was, I was glad to be out there this morning spreading the leaves, covering the garlic and, and thinking mm. about Guy and thinking about how the garlic will pop right through those leaves in the spring. Uh, we won't have any weeds to, to manage, and, and then we'll just be able to pull them right out. Uh, you know, we'll start with the scapes in June, and then we'll pull out our garlic in, in early, mid-July, and uh, yeah. start curing it and get, getting that ready for, for distribution, and, and then and sorting them out for, for planting again. We'll, we'll save our seed, save about 125, 150 pounds of garlic seed a year uh, to replant, sorting out sort of the larger ones for our seed stock and giving out our sort of medium ones uh, to our, our CSA's customers. Yeah. Steve, Steve Mono, I want to ask you, you said spreading the leaves on the garlic is a great way to, uh, to, to protect them and, 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 you know, mulch them. What, what about um, more uh, sort of wet, raw compost that we're now sort of trying to <laughs> encourage to decay, but it's sort of sitting there in our, in our pile, uh, not doing much. Um, it, can that be spread over uh, gardens at this point, uh, g- garlic or otherwise? Yeah. As long as there's no manure in it, got to be careful. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. Right, yeah, yeah. You can get that compost out on, on your fields now, um, you know, or in your garden bed now. You know, if, if you've got the time for it, a beautiful day like today is a nice day to do it if you can. Um and you can wait until spring as well. But if you've got a full pile and you, and you you need to move some of it out, this is a great time to start replenishing your garden beds, and, and they'll be ready for spring. I like the the leaves as a protective barrier. You know, when we get heavy rains in in the the fall and the winter, and as we get more with with climate change, the, these heavier storms that we get, the leaves on top are gonna are gonna slow down the rain a little bit and capture some of those heavy mm-hmm. droplets and allow them to filter into the soil slower so that it's not running off and, and damaging the soil. So I, I like that right. leaf cover as a protective barrier as well for this protective mulch. When you put the compost straight down, um, it's going to add that fertility, but, you know, the, the, the leaves themselves that are still, still decomposing will actually serve as a little bit of protection. Um, so I, I appreciate that aspect that they do. And it's one of the reasons I would say, you know, if you're out there thinking about raking up your leaves on the lawn, it's another reason to leave those out there or to, to mow them in place um, because they're right. going to protect your lawn as well. They're going to protect that, that, that green space. When we clear it up, we're removing that, that protective barrier. So, I, you know, I, I see in my neighborhood a lot of leaf blowers and a lot of rakes, and, and the piles are, of course, fun. You know, I have fond memories of jumping in the piles, and that's what I want to do with my, my two- and four-year-old, of course. But I think there's, they do serve a purpose. You know, they, if you go out in the woods for a walk, you can see how those leaves are protecting the forest floor. You know, they serve the same purpose in your, around your home as well. So, so, you know, they can be useful in the garden. They can, be, they can make up a compost for you, but they can also be protective of the area around your home and garden. So uh, you think know, about Bill like guy. Bill I'm sorry. Bill they also an incredible soil biology. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, leaves sound a lot like guy. <laughs> <laughs> My husband and I are one of the only one of two homes on our street in the South Farms District of Middletown who we rake. 
and we get crazy looks from people. And we don't rake to the street. We rake to tarps, which gets dumped into a pile for compost. And then after we've raked, we go over the lawn about three or four days, five days later, after the last of the leaves have fallen, with a, and I shred and bag them, and those go around my perennial. So nothing gets wasted. I mean, leaves are gold. And when you see the people just tossing them away and then molting, you're like, oh, it's so wasteful. Right. And it's such a waste of energy, too. So, um, and you yeah, have to kill trees to make mulch. That's correct, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> so I'd like now to play um, a, uh, a clip from uh, Kevin Gallagher, who was the host of uh, Digging in the Dirt, a great environmental show. He also hosts the Gaiagram, which is a truly amazing asset for WPKN, comes on uh, several times a day and uh, gives us environmental updates. And Why? we're probably running out of time, and apologies to a few folks. Jeremy Pelletier, who is the uh, administrative um, yeah, guru we, of NOFA. We're not, we haven't given up here. on him yet, but, but let's Okay, let's, good. Let's well, play. we're getting close we here. Are. Jeremy, hold on. <laughs> All right, let me, let me see if I can get this going here. And I also want to identify Steve as um, chairman of the uh, board of directors of NOFA. Oops, this is Kevin Gallagher, host of Digging in the Dirt, and happy to be here on my sister show, The Organic Farm Stand. One of my great pleasures in doing Digging in the Dirt is my opportunity to meet and talk with farmers. They are a special breed of human beings, focused, gentle, and wise. And organic farmers are even better. They have the surety that they are doing the right thing with their craft. They are growing healthy food in healthy soil that promotes a healthy planet. And I think that is exactly what Guy Beardsley was all about. Wise and thirsty for knowledge and more than willing to share with anyone interested what he knew to be true. We crossed paths infrequently, but when we did, the conversation flowed easily. I personally have a need to learn how to grow things and do it the right way. And when you come across someone like Guy, you listen and learn. And you know what? He listens to you as well. Last year, I needed seed garlic for my garden. I love growing garlic, and there's nothing better than your own garlic. I called Guy and asked if he had any for sale. As luck would have it, he did. I come up to the station on Mondays from Long Island, and he agreed to meet me there and make the transaction. And when he did, he brought me a present. Now, I have heard of the wonders of black garlic from a listener of Digging in the Dirt, but I had never tried it. That day, Guy brought me two heads of black garlic. Being the inquisitive type that I am, I started grilling him on how it's done. And I was astounded to find out it was 288 hours of slow cooking to make black garlic. My wife and I ate these tiny, sweet morsels of goodness and became hooked. Later, I bought a black garlic cooker, and now there's a jar of those black nuggets in the fridge all the time, and we have one or two every day. All right. I think it's special. Ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you that we are just about like uh, just it about out of time here. God. And um, so this has been the Organic Farm Stand, another tribute to Guy Beardsley. We thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks, and uh, the Organic Farm Stand will continue. We're still trying to figure out our, our how we're going to do this, but... It's all good, and you should be a part of it. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening. Yeah, and stay tuned. Thanks all for participating, Mike, uh, Nancy, Suzanne, uh, Katie, and all of the others. Uh, My name is Richard Hill here with Chris Ferriero. Take good care, everybody.